Hello and welcome to the Biz Here Podcast. I'm Kyle Arant. And I'm Karen Welch. Today on the podcast, we've got uh, Jody Holland. Do you know who Jody Holland is? I, I do not. Other than I remember you recording with him and you came out with this look on your face. I did. It was uh, it was the most unusual podcast I think I've recorded yet. Okay. What <laughs> um, happened? He, he teaches uh, management, leadership skills, uh, things like that. Does a lot of training, not just in Amarillo, but across the country for corporations, for uh, all kinds of businesses. And uh, I had him come in because... First, I wanted to talk to him. We hadn't had him on the podcast. Uh, but he talked to me about a new thing that he's doing now. Uh-huh. He's this re- is why you came out confused. This okay. is why I came out confused. He's reading faces. Oh. He, he takes a look at the face, and he can tell you based on the, you know, the, the height of your forehead or how your ears are positioned, uh, your nose, your eyebrows, different things about you. Uh, and how to use those as a manager to, uh, I guess, adapt yourself to the the traits and style of the person you're trying to manage. Oh, boy. You can okay. use it for bad, too, but he says only the good. You try yeah. to do the good. Okay. Right? Yeah. But uh, in the context of that, he read my face, and it was bizarre. Shockingly accurate? Or no spoilers? Well, right. uh, yeah. I, I guess Hillary uh, Halsey, the other producer, was in the room, and she um, she would tell you it might be accurate. Okay, all right. So that is uh, th- th- that's coming up in a little bit, but uh, in the meantime, we need to get a couple of Karen's nuggets of knowledge. <laughs> All right. Well, the first nugget of knowledge is just uh, from happening by the the former Big Five sporting goods store. Uh, this is one of my favorites. Yeah, yeah. We, we learned a few months ago that that's going to be a Skechers store. Mm-hmm. Uh, the sign's up now. It says Skechers Outlet. And there were two large semi-trailers uh, being unloaded. And they were small enough boxes that my guess is inventory. Shoes. Uh, shoes. Okay. Yes. Boxes of boxes. <laughs> of shoes. Of yeah. shoes and lots of uh, probably workers carrying them back and forth from the truck. I mean, in from the trucks to the store. Okay. Um, I have uh, messages out to the Skechers folks to get a timeline on the opening, so look for that blog soon. Okay. And uh, if you Keep love on Skechers, them because yes. the city needs Skechers. Well, I need some replacements. Uh, yeah, I, know I do that. too. I'm wearing them right now, and, <laughs> and they need friends. <laughs> so uh, another one that's happening: the Lost Cajun is open. Opening this week. Looking forward to that. Yeah, um, I'm looking forward to coffee and beignets from ten to eleven. Yeah. Uh, ten. Wait a minute. Ten thirty to, to eleven. Eleven. Yeah. Uh, they're open seven days a week. They will do that, and eleven o'clock it will go to the full, full service menu. Okay. Um, there, Mike Fogel, the owner, is of this franchise is waiting on uh, the customers to determine what the closing hours might be. He okay. wants to see what the traffic is. It's and, a pretty cool idea, yeah. rather than just come in and say, we're open till 10, let's right. see what what works and right. then adapt. That's, see where it needs to a, be and all cool that. Um, and they've been doing training and, and getting uh, 70 employees ready to go. Wow. So that's big staff. Yeah. It's going to so, be cool. So where um, that is in Wolfland? Wolfland Square. Yeah. yeah it's on, uh, Eat Right is on one end of a building. Mm-hmm. 
if you've been to the Eat Right Health Store, and on the other end is Lost Cajun. Right, and it's kind of on the back side, the right. back, the caddy, kind right. of caddy corner. Right, um, but on the I-40 side right, of Wolfland I-40 Square. Right, I-40 side of Wolfland Square. Yeah. That'll be cool. Um, I guess uh, number three on the list here is One Million Cups. Um, West Texas A&M University, the Enterprise Center, will yeah. be sponsoring uh, One Million Cups. Um, I looked into that a little bit. It is uh, sponsored by the uh, or a program of the Kaufman Foundation. Right. Um, they do a lot of educational and entrepreneurial and leadership, government leadership kinds of programs. Okay. Uh, all about improving uh, cities, education, um, businesses, all of those things. Uh, and so this is their program where. Uh, you have an hour. You have uh, two speakers that that apply to to do the speaking. Mm-hmm. Um, they go through some training. There's videos to train about how to do their presentations because they are limited on their time. Right, it's six minutes. Um, and then once they do that uh, and and appear at one of these one million cup sessions, they have six minutes. And then there's a twenty minute Q and A where really they get feedback from uh, businesses, investors, um, other entrepreneurs as to what they would do in, in the situation they're talking right. about. So uh, that begins... Really cool concept. Yeah, yeah, yeah that begins February 7th. Okay. Uh, it's a monthly thing at uh, the WT Enterprise Center, and it will be uh, from 8.30 to 9.30, I believe. Out there on Western. Out there on Western, 2300 Northwestern. So there, there's some other things going on out there, right? Uh, yes, there is. Just uh, so that everybody's aware, uh, a few weeks back they um, actually opened and started using uh, the new building they were building. They added a, a 8,500 square foot building, oh. um, and it's just a it's just a function of their growth out there that they are uh, are adding some space, um, and it's a larger space uh, to work in, and. Um, that building will have a ribbon cutting or a grand opening the day after uh, this one million cups. Okay. So the eighth. Okay. Hey, um, I want to mention something that I, I saw um, or, or heard from earlier today. Mm-hmm. Um, it looks like the, uh, the the coffee buzz on our campus is, <gasps> is real close. I don't know what we can say. Yes. But, yes. Um, I know we're you know we're we're in the the final days of waiting. Right. Um, before Palace Coffee Company opens here on the Washington Street campus of Amarillo College. So I, I and I'm my... excited. Um, I, I, I okay. Soapbox. I... Ready? <laughs> um, here we go. This 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 campus has been missing something like that space since the you know we had the cafeteria and then we we had the what we called the vendatorium and, and, and certain <laughs> things and we we've put a lot of effort into making these um, sticky spaces for students but now um, I, I think with Palace coming even for staff but but everybody on this campus is going to be somewhere where we can. Uh, uh, we can definitely gather. Continuing and, yeah. to improve the campus feel yes, here at yes, AC, the yeah. the way um, the, WT does a great job of that. Well, yeah. we have a lot of commuter students, but yeah. this is one way to to uh, invite them to stay on campus when they're when they're not in class, when right. they're doing other things, and and have, provide a space for them to do those things. Right. So. so. Um, I, I would tell you stay close to this podcast and follow Karen's uh, days, uh, yeah, people. Days, we we're, may we're be in the days. Final days, and so. I am wanting that caffeine. Yes. Um, 
And uh, beyond that, one quick little note. If you've got a drone, don't fly it over Pantex. That goes without saying. I would maybe. think it would go without saying. However, only in at the end of December, December 29th, I believe, did the uh, FAA, at the request of the DOE, uh-huh. uh, actually provide those restrictions or, or authorize uh, restrictions for drone flights uh, up to 400 feet within the boundaries of Pantex, uh, the Hanford site in Washington, Los Alamos. You know, there's a handful of uh, places where we have nuclear things. Don't uh, do that. Just yeah, don't. Yeah. So, and, and more importantly, what prompted this little this this paper that I'm holding in my hand that you gave I, me? I know. <laughs> I just have the uh, DOE yeah. re- release, don't, the FAA release about that. it, yeah. and so there are. Um, Airspace restrictions. Check your airspace restrictions always if you're flying drones, right. because there are those. Um, and, and drones are, you know, they, their licenses available for a reason. Right. You know? Um, right. It's, you know, it used to be that everybody yeah. could fly a drone, right. um, but more and more there's privacy, there's there's uh, security. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> as in this this particular restriction. Yep. So anyway, just updating all you drone operators out there if you okay. didn't know already. Or well, even I just wouldn't thought. do that anyway. Yeah, yeah. I, I I would have thought that was already happening. All right, so it's time to get creepy. Yeah, you're going to hear my face reading now. Okay, that's coming up uh, next. There's lots of good information, and it's not just about reading my face or getting my astrology, you know, uh, zodiac sign read or something. If if you want to know what lottery numbers Karen's picking, that's coming up next here on the Bizier Podcast. All right. I'm here in the FM90 production studio with Jody Holland. I'm going to let him tell you who he is and what he does. But uh, he's a very entertaining, uh, motivational speaker, and there's a lot more to that story. Jody, so, welcome. So, yeah, really, uh, my wife goes, look, you've got to give me a better description for who the heck you are, because my friends keep asking. So, number one, I am a speaker. I love to speak. I've been speaking and entertaining for over 20 years, but I also do training. So I go into organizations, teach leadership, management, sales, anything related to how you connect with people. And then the third thing I do is executive coaching. And so really those are the three categories or buckets that I could be placed inside of. Okay. So uh, how did you get into this? Uh, Well, interesting story. When I was in college, I started in psychology, got out of psychology because my professor was practicing aversion therapy. He had electrodes strapped to his body, and every time he craved a cigarette, he would reach into his pocket and go, (laughs) and shock himself. And I went, don't want to end up that way. (laughs) So I switched to accounting because I was really good in math, and that's what they had told me on my aptitude test is, oh, you need to do math. Well, I did not enjoy accounting at all because I really like humans and wanted to be around other people. So finally, I, I took a test that was like a what should you be when you grow up test, And it said you should be something where you're engaging with people like training, journalism, things like that. And I went, yeah, training sounds fun. So I majored in communication at Angelo State and went into training. I worked with ex-cons, first group I trained. Really? Yeah, that was fascinating. Right out of the box. Yeah, (laughs) how do you change behavior so that they don't stab people at work? Um, 
the, the valuable had information. Almost yeah. a perfect track record as well. Really? Almost. Uh, <laughs> <Uh-oh>. <laughs> after that, I designed training programs and implemented training for the Boy Scouts and worked at a national as well as a local level and then went into business for myself in 99 doing speaking training coaching. Mm-hmm. And that's um, in, in Amarillo, you went through uh, the Enterprise Center, I think. And I did some go through the Enterprise Center. WT Enterprise Center. Oh, yeah. They're fantastic. Uh, went through their coaching programs. They really help you fine tune who you are and the message that you want to share with other people. Okay. So that's kind of where I think a lot of people started knowing your name and, and how, yeah. at least here, how and what you were doing. Right. And I actually started the business in Abilene. Okay. And so I lived there. And then 10 years ago, I moved here and I had hopped around with different ideas of who I was and what I was going to be. But really going through that, the coaching program at the Enterprise Center helped me to fine tune it. Uh, I did win the Enterprise Challenge uh, with one of the businesses that I have. And so it's been a lot of fun. The last decade's been good. And then I would say also Leadership Amarillo Canyon has been huge in getting my name out there. Okay. So I volunteer with them. I've done tons of programs every year with them. I do their opening retreat. And I have five other community leadership programs that I work with as well. Okay, that's fantastic. Yeah. Um, and and then you're you're off in other locations doing all this speaking and stuff too, right? Right. I've actually worked in 14 countries now, uh, all over the United States, really? except for Maine and Rhode Island. Hmm. I haven't been there yet, and I have family in Maine, but I've well, Never. they need to find you a gig. I know. I'm like, what's <laughs> up with not getting me Eddie Bauer? Come on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, but I, yeah, I've had a chance to go all over the country, uh, other countries as well. I do love the United States. There are other countries that are way, way cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, Spain, for example, really enjoy that. And Panama is my favorite place. Really? Yeah. I had no idea I would enjoy it so much there. Huh. So uh, do people in other countries have the same views of leadership? And No, uh, definitely not. Um, but I will tell you, a lot of other countries, because of tourism, mm-hmm. they're trying to figure out, particularly with resorts, which is kind of what I was working with, how do we create Western customer service so that people from the United States will come over here and give us all their money? Huh. And when you can (laughs) create that right model, because there's a different set of expectations that Americans have on how they're taken care of versus, say, when we went to Panama, me and another trainer, to work with some of the customer service stuff, their idea of service Mm -hmm. is so drastically different than the idea of what an American wants that they have to train people over there. Hey, here's how you understand expectations for this other group of people. Hmm. Okay. You uh, have a, a stack of books, and I think they all have your name on them. So. Yeah, I have, uh, <laughs> I've written and published 16 books. I uh, brought three different books with me today just kind of to have some giveaways at the end of the podcast you want to give to any of your listeners. But I love to write. Uh, okay. Writing is my escape from reality, and it allows me to really organize my thoughts and get things ready for how I'm going to go out and, and help people when I do training and coaching. All right. And there's a discipline to that writing. What's your secret to that discipline? So if you've ever read um, The War of Art, mm-hmm. and instead of The Art of War, Sun Tzu's Art of War, Stephen Pressfield's War of Art, one of the things that he talks about in there is he was interviewing a guy, and he's a writer, uh, probably most famous for The Legend of Bagger Vance. Oh, okay. One of his books that he's written, which was his 42nd book to write. Wow. Yeah, amazing. <laughs> But he was asking another really famous writer, very successful, what's your secret? And he said, well, 
you know, I, I only write when I'm inspired. He goes, really? He goes, yeah, it just so happens that every day at exactly 9 a.m., I'm inspired. <laughs> and so there is, there is a disciplined creativity that you use. Or as Chuck Close would say, you know, inspiration is for amateurs. The rest of us show up and work. Okay. And I think that's really the key is you have to create a very specific time that you sit down and you write and you create. And so for me, when I write, there is an exact time, and it's typically a 7 a.m., and I write for one solid hour. So from 7 to 8, I write. That's okay. who I am. That's what I'm doing. To, to write a book, I actually have an ebook. I'd be glad for you to give away to your listeners if they're interested on how to write and self-publish a book. Okay. And it, it's following a very specific model and using the tools that are out there that help you go, okay, I'm going to outline my book. I'm going to write the opening paragraph of each chapter. And then every day I'm going to sit down and write for exactly one hour. Hmm. And you can write a book in 30 days and self-publish it at the same time. Well, there you go. Yeah. So it's not really, I mean, you do have to have something to say. And yeah. that's the part that a lot of people miss. I have CEOs that go, oh, someday I'm going to write a book. I'm like, well, when is someday? <laughs> start. <laughs> yeah. Pick a day and start writing right. because you'll never finish if you don't start. That's true. That is true. Uh, well, I wanted to talk about leadership and stuff, but I'd love to. Okay, so that's my favorite subject ever. Your favorite subject? You, yes. You ought to see the gleeful look on his face. Yeah. Bro. No, I get excited about that. So, okay, are are leaders um, born or made? Yes. Okay. So everybody is born, and you go through a series of experiences that will position some people when they become an adult to be naturally better at it. And other people will not have those experiences when they're growing up. So you're not genetically programmed to be a leader, but you go through three stages of psychological development that will position you either better or uh, not so good mm -hmm. for being a leader when you grow up. So zero through six is known as the imprinting stage. And during this time, your core personality is established. So a lot of what we think of a leader, they're very conscientious, they're very extroverted, you know, they're, they're confident. Well, those things are developed starting before you have conscious processing at about the age of five. Hmm. Second stage is the modeling stage, and this is really important for work. From seven to 13 years old, you pick who you want to be like. And so you start modeling their values, you start modeling the way that they behave. So you're, you're trying to become that person. When you don't have a good model from seven to 13, it puts you at a disadvantage. Still not impossible, but it's a disadvantage for being a leader. Okay. And then 14 to 22 for women and 14 to 26 for men. Shocker that men develop slower than women. <laughs> I no comment, people. <laughs> yeah, typically women will go, uh, yeah, we knew that a long time ago. We didn't need psychology for that one. But typically, I mean, in that third stage, you're going through what's called socialization. You learn critical thinking, problem solving, decision making, accountability, how you're going to interact with others. But those three stages, what you experience, and then even more importantly, the meaning that you give to those experiences, that either puts you at an advantage or a disadvantage. Mm -hmm. Now, I got a hold of the Office of Personnel Management's 11-year, uh, $13 million research project wow. on what makes a great leader. And I think that's what gave me a big advantage back in 2003 is when I got a hold of their research, which I would never be able to do $13 million worth no. of research. Oh, no. It went, hey, here's the crossover skills that it doesn't matter if you're for-profit, not-for-profit, government, private sector. 
same skills are required. Hmm. And so I took those skills and then we put them with the research that myself and Dr. Worthington were doing on the generations and how the generations are shifting the way that the workplace operates. Yes. And we said, okay, here's the 12 skills. Okay. So there's 12 specific skills. And the book that I brought to kind of give it away is a little summary here called, Yay, I'm a Supervisor. Now what? <laughs> so <Yay. laughs> I'm in charge, but I don't know what to do. So you go through value-based diversity. So diversity used to be you know, gender or race, but now it's really the value structure of who we are. Mm-hmm. Uh, you then go into motivation. You know, what is the science behind motivating people and creating the right culture so that they will choose motivation? You go into communication and the tactics of being a great listener as a leader, and then go into coaching. And we use a soft model, which is uh, set expectations, observe behaviors, follow a three-step process, and then teach them to lead themselves. Uh And so that's how you coach. Then you resolve conflict, because anytime you coach, if they don't do it, we get frustrated. Yes. Yes. So you got to figure out, okay, now how do I go back and confront them in such a way that I make the relationship better, not worse? Uh You then go into corrective counseling, which is advanced behavior change. So it's using some of Skinner's model on self-efficacy and things like that, but putting in layman's terms to go, hey, if you'll say these four things, then people will change their behaviors and they'll think it was their idea. Uh And so you take them through that. Then you go into goal setting then problem solving, then decision making, then high performance teams, and then you wrap it up at the last two. How do you manage priorities, not time? And then how do you create the right ethical environment based on your values so that you have a culture that predicts success and profit? Wow. So what happens when that coaching, corrective coaching, wasn't it, uh, when that doesn't work? So there will be times that it doesn't work. If you look at a normal distribution of performers within the workplace, you could really look at it as 20, 60, 20. 20% are top performers, and you are not the reason that they're a top performer as a manager. (laughs) That's just who they are. You didn't have anything to do with it. They were programmed through those three psychological stages to be that person. Okay. 20%, they're horrible performers, and that's just who they are. Sometimes you can bring them up to average, but a lot of times it's because they're in the wrong place. Mm-hmm. So as Jim Collins talked about in Good to Great, you've got the wrong person on the bus. So his whole quote is, you got to get the right people on the bus and in the right seats and the wrong people off. Okay. Most people miss that third piece is that there are times that they're just on the wrong bus. Mm-hmm. Let's let them get on a new bus where they can be wildly successful and happy. So when it's not working with those bottom 20%, just give them another chance somewhere else. Yeah. The 60% are who we have the greatest influence over. Where your attention is focused in the workplace is where those 60% go. But where is most of our attention? Top or bottom? Yeah. It's on the bottom. Yeah. So we're spending most of our time focused on those non-performers trying to figure out how to get them to be better performers. Uh-huh. And what we do is we move the needle down on our average people instead of moving it up. Hmm. So put your focus on let's dote on our superstars. Let's let's really invest time and energy and bring them up in front of the group. They like that stuff. Uh-huh. It makes them super superstars instead right. of just one super. Right. And then the average people go, oh, I want that too. And so they start going, I want to be a superstar just like them. 
and all of a sudden our performance goes up pretty significantly. Okay. So, I mean, as much as, let's say in a sales environment, I've seen as much as a 25% increase in gross revenues in 30 days. Okay. So, I mean, like instant difference when you get rid of the non-performers and focus on your top performers, your average people follow to the top. So all of this is very important then in team building. Critically important. I mean, I don't care what your industry is. When you build the right team, basically what you're saying is, I'm going to invest in this team and understand who they are so that they go do the job. Because I don't know a leader that's out there going, gosh, I wish I could put in more hours and do more <laughs> of the work for my people. Mm-hmm. What we really want as leaders is to build that team and structure in such a way that they move themselves up so that we get to focus on the big picture stuff instead of on the nitty gritty. So going back to like the conflict resolution, your average manager today mm-hmm. is spending five weeks full time per year resolving other people's conflict. Ooh. Because we haven't taught them how to do it themselves. Okay. All, so, all good to know. So yeah. if you're resolving other people's conflict out there, you might want to think about that. Yeah. Uh, your current research, let's talk about that because okay. it's fascinating. Uh, why don't you explain what so, that is? So uh, what she's referring to there is the focus on how you read a person. Where I do executive coaching, so I'm getting one-on-one with people. A lot of times, it's it's one of two areas that the company wants to focus on. Either they have somebody that is ridiculously talented and not so great with humans, and they want mm-hmm. me to make them better with people, or they see a lot of potential, but they're not fully living into it yet. Okay, That's kind of the two people I'm normally sitting down with to do executive coaching. So when I sit down with them, I need to be able to connect with them really quickly and see how to help them. So I started studying a science called physiognomy uh, almost 10 years ago now, looking at the structure of a person's face. Now, what was it called again? Physiognomy. Physiognomy. Or the easy way to say that is face reading. Okay. So we'll just call it face reading because you don't have to worry (laughs) about spelling that. Yeah. You look at a person's structure of their face, it correlates to the psychology of who they are as a person. So my master's is in applied psychology, uh, looking at how you take psychology itself and not from a counseling standpoint, but go, okay, how do you apply this in the workplace? How do you make business better as a result? Mm -hmm. The face reading is one of the key components of how you connect. So you look at a person's face, for example, and we'll just kind of go top to bottom. Uh, The forehead is going to tell you how they make decisions. You want to know, are they an emotional decision maker or a logical decision maker? So flat is logical, rounded is emotional. The height of the forehead correlated to where the hairline is. So not where the hair hangs, but where the hairline is. Tells you whether they overthink things in their world or whether they're like, okay, I'm going to use my street smart to make a decision here. (laughs) The wrinkles on the forehead tell you whether or not they're focused and tenacious or their mind jumps around. The wrinkles in between the eyebrows going up into the forehead tell you whether they're visionary or stay focused or if they're anal retentive, kind of. I uh, hope you can say that on air. <laughs> and and yeah. as he's saying this, I'm trying to figure out what my wrinkles okay, are Okay, so you have two lines <laughs> that come up in between your eyebrows, uh-huh. which means that you tend to be very focused. Okay. You like to keep work at work, home at home. You want to do what you're doing right then, but you're intense when you do it. 
lines across your forehead go straight across, which means that you like to finish the things that you start. So you tend to be pretty tenacious about getting things done. Okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so uh, you don't have an overly tall forehead. So the forehead, if it's overly tall from the hairline perspective, that's when you think it through and then you overthink it. You definitely think it through, but you have a tendency that when it's time to make a choice, you make a choice. Okay. And let's just move forward. Uh, you look at the eyebrows and the shape of the eyebrows, and I'm just going to read her face so we'll yeah, have a correlation here. Sure. The shape of the eyebrows, you have a little bit different shape from left to right. The left side of your face is your personal life. The right side of your face is your professional life. Hmm. So on the personal side, you have a higher eyebrow than you do on the uh, – the personal is higher than on the professional. So that means slightly higher standards for your personal life. So you have a very strong set of expectations for how people will treat you and how you interact with people. It's rounded on both sides, which means you start with relationship before task. We have a little spike on the left, which means I like to keep control in my personal situations. So you don't want to be controlled. You want to keep control. I'm looking over at Hillary Holsey, who is producing this, and she... She's going, she, yep, see yep, that one? Yep, okay. <laughs> you have a slight arch on the right, but it's more on the left than on the right. Uh, you then look at where the eyebrow sets, and both of them, but more on the right than the left, so more on professional than personal, sits under. That means that you have a tendency not to filter as much of what you're thinking before you say it. Uh-oh. So <laughs> a smaller filter between brain and mouth would be the way that I would normally describe that. Okay. Well, I'll work on my filter. There you go. So you look at the outside edge of the eye, and you're looking for the wrinkles and the way that they work on the outside edge, and you tend to be pretty realistic. So you look at the world and go, nah, it is what it is. Yeah. It's not optimistic. It's not pessimistic. We're just going to deal with it and move forward. <laughs> so you then look at the nose, keep coming. This is, this is bizarre, folks. Yeah. <laughs> go ahead. So, okay, before I jump to the nose, I'm gonna, uh -huh. when you look straight forward, you see eyelid on you. That means you like to take action quickly. And if you have to sit around and people can't make a choice forever, it will really bug you. Like, seriously, let's yeah. just do something here. Yes. So <laughs> that's what the eyelids tell you. Um, eyelashes are not overly long, not overly short. When eyelashes are really long, those are the people that really need a break at the end of the day. Please give me 20 minutes and don't bother me kind of stuff. So yours are right in the middle. You need a little break. Yeah. But you can really transition pretty quickly from, okay, I'm going from work. I'm going to home. I'm going to do my stuff. I don't really need to hide out for 20 minutes and not be bothered or have my wine time, as one of my friends says. <laughs> well, that doesn't mean I canceled the wine time. No, no, no. You don't have to cancel it. It's just you can multitask. Yeah. You can do both. Yeah. Uh, the nose, when you look at the nose, uh, you don't really have a bump on your nose, which means you don't have a lot of defensiveness in your personality. So that's a good thing. But the sides of your nostrils, you got very strong grooves on the side, which means fierce independence. Let me make my own choices. So round ball on the end, which means you like to be in the loop on everything that's going on around you. You don't like to be left out of information at all. Uh, the lower septum, that's the center point of the nostril between the two outside edges, it comes down, which means you need a mission for what you're doing. You have to make a difference. You can't do stuff just to make money. You have to make a difference. Doesn't mean if your boss is listening, you don't want that raise. <laughs> But it means that you have to have a purpose in what you're doing. Okay. So taller upper lip means that you're good at delayed gratification. So if it's something you really want, you'll work for it and you can wait for it. 
go down to the lower portion here. You have a little line on the, the chin between the lower lip and the chin itself, which means that you do respond well to verbal affirmation. So you should be complimented on the work that you do. Still needs to be tied to something. Mm -hmm. So the affirmation model that would work for you is what was the behavior you did, how do people feel about it, and what was the positive impact. And so if you have those three things, you'll respond well to it. So mm. bosses, if you're listening. Yeah, <laughs> compliments are good, but behavior, feeling, impact. Person that doesn't have the line, if I were to come up and compliment somebody with no line, they would immediately go, what is it you want? <laughs> so they would wonder what I was up to. So then you look at the lower portion of the chin, and you've got kind of a squared off lower chin. So you have to have goals and accomplishments. So you're going to judge yourself based on, did we get things done that we needed to get done? And, mm -hmm. and that's a lot of what your life is. Now, the downside of a square chin person or upside, depending on your perspective, is you don't like whiny friends. <laughs> Somebody comes to you and says, oh, but Karen, I'm so sad right now. Your response, at least in your head, is going to be, suck it up, buttercup. We all have problems to deal with. <laughs> So you're going to push people to kind of do stuff. And I know this is a weird question, but can I see your ears for a second? That's okay. Showing the ears. Fantastic. So you're an auditory kinesthetic and on both sides pretty much the same. So auditory kinesthetic, you have visual auditory and kinesthetic on language patterns for the way a person processes. I tested about 100 people with the VAC learning model test and then tried to figure out on their face what tells me how they learn. Mm -hmm. The ears are what correlate the best. So slightly larger ears, that's auditory combined with a smaller iris, that's, that's your auditory thinker. So process, want to talk through things, I'm going to be a good communicator, things like that. Kinesthetic, that is the action and emotion. Okay. And so you got to get a good feel for what you're doing so you can generate your passion, which goes along a little bit with that septum as well, the center point of the nose, where it comes down and says, I've got to be mission driven. So you want to create a logical process that feels right to you. <laughs> Very uncanny, folks. This yeah. is actually, I wish Hillary was on the uh, mic so that she could tell you how accurate this seems to be. <laughs> well, just FYI, she's kind of cracking up over there because I can see right through the monitors and going, oh my gosh, Here's that's she, her. It's very accurate. <laughs> that's amazing. I'm glad I have this recorded. So this is valuable, I can see, in a number of ways. So the, it's most valuable when you don't tell people everything that you know. <laughs> So if I'm doing executive coaching or like the book Hypnotic Selling that I wrote that uses this as a part of the sales process, it really isn't about knowing you and manipulating you. Mm -hmm. it's, it, don't use it for that. What you use it for is I want to know you and adapt to you. Oh, so okay. as a leader, one of the biggest things that we're doing is we're adapting to the individual that we're trying to inspire. So if I can communicate with you the way you need me to communicate as a leader – you're motivated because mm -hmm. you're like, oh, my gosh, he gets me. <laughs> and that, that's what all of us really want is we want a leader that, that listens to us, that gets us, and that connects with us. Because the three psychological needs that people are really trying to fulfill is I want autonomy. Let me direct myself within the sphere of the goals that we have for the organization. And we want competence. I want you to know how to work with me to help me get better and better at what I'm doing. And then we want connectedness. I need a sense of belonging or a sense of this is where I should be because I fit with the people around me. Okay. 
Very interesting. So that's what you use it for is to accomplish those three yeah. psychological needs. Now, there needs. probably are some people who use it to uh, oh, I'm sure. di- to your disadvantage. Yeah, and everybody but... who just listened to me, you, you got the open book, I guess. But... <laughs> well, I didn't give him everything on you. So. <laughs> no, he says that's for coffee later. Yes. <laughs> so what are you then taking? You're taking this skill and, and infusing it in those that you coach? So really, I take the skill and I use it so that I learn how to adapt to them Mm -hmm. to figure out how do I draw that potential out of that person. Until I know they're on the right path as a leader, I don't want them to know how to do this with other people. Okay. What I want them to know is I was able to see into you, see what your potential is, and pull that potential to to the surface. Okay. So that's what I use it for is to release potential. Very interesting. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I know we're going to talk more because this oh, is yeah. fascinating. So, uh, so uh, Jody, I appreciate uh, you being here, and I, I look forward to having you uh, back many Absolutely. times. So I'm going to just, if yeah, you don't mind, I'm going to do. throw a please little do. plug in here for the books you can give away. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first one is, Yay, I'm a Supervisor, mm-hmm. Now What? Okay. And I've got it on Amazon and on Audible and iTunes as an audio book. But I'm doing a program with Amarillo College starting in March oh. called Learn to Lead. Okay. And it's taking through those 12 skills, and it will be at the downtown campus. But it's once a month training for 12 straight months so that you can reduce turnover, increase performance, and overall make more money as an organization by developing the potential of your people. All right. Second one is just make time because most of us struggle a little bit with – yeah, I've got too much going on in my world. Mm-hmm. And so I got a couple of copies for you to give away of that fantastic book on how do you manage what you allow into your time mm-hmm. and make time for the things that matter most. And then the third, and this is one of my favorite books I've ever written, is called The Six Demons of Fear. Ooh, and it, I wrote it as a parable, but there's six psychological fears that we have that keep us from living a full life. <laughs> you learn to overcome these six fears, you're good. Give me an example. So we have a fear of loss of love. So we do a lot of things in our world so that people will like us or love us that are not genuinely who we are. When you learn to master that fear, kind of get it where it's not controlling you, then you have the ability to really have a genuine relationship without trying to be somebody else within that relationship. And that's true of friendships, true of working relationships, or even romantic relationships. Okay. So. so, sounds fascinating. Sounds like something else we should have a, a yeah. longer conversation about. Yeah, I'd love to talk about that. And then that event is uh, it's at jodyholland.eventbrite.com. Okay. Okay. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you, you for being here and uh, reading my face. You bet. It was a blast, Karen. Thank you. <laughs> Biz Here is recorded in the FM90 studios on the Washington Street campus of Amarillo College. Thanks for listening. All right, Karen, what's next on the podcast? Well, on the radar, we've got a couple of interviews I'm, I'm working on setting up. One, of course, is to talk with uh, Patrick and Crystal Burns about uh, the new Palace Coffee and other things that they're doing. They always have irons on the fire. And then the other one would be to talk with the uh, owner of uh, Burrowing Owl, the bookstore in Canyon on the square. It's it's neat, and it's different for little independent bookstores to be starting up. Yeah, so. it's Yeah. All right. For more content, visit panhandlepbs.org and be sure to follow us on social media. Together, let's amplify Amarillo and turn up the Texas Panhandle.